right. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, boy, if you wonder who he's talking about, pretty clear here, the devil. Couldn't be more clear, huh? And release those who through fear of death were in all their lifetimes subject to bondage. For he indeed does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. You might say, well, I'm not Jewish. Now, this is the spiritual seed of Abraham. Both are important. There's the blood seed of Abraham, which we see Israel today, and then there's the spiritual seed, which is the church, and whether you're Jew or Gentile, in Christ. Verse 17, therefore, in all things he has made, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful, there's that mercy again, merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You ever been tempted? Jesus can aid you. He, 40 days he battled the devil himself, not some low-level demon. 40 days, 40 nights, no food. He knows what it's like, but he also knows what it's like to suffer. We've never been to the cross. He's been there. All of these things, we're going to take a look at that this morning. Why don't we pray together? I ask you to pray for me. I don't know why, but I have been battling warfare all morning. I think Satan hates this text because it throws Satan under the feet of Jesus. So I don't know. I've just had it. I've just battled all morning. I'm like, I'm full of joy, and yet I feel like I've got a, a sword in one hand and a fire extinguisher in another. <laughs> and yet I have a lot of joy. So this is life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. May you quicken it. May you quench every fiery dart in this room. May you still every heart. May you fill me with your spirit. May you anoint this time. May your people draw near to you. Anyone that doesn't know you, may they come to know you. May you set someone free from bondage. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we left off with verses 10 through 13, and we saw that through, through Jesus, remember we, we emphasized through Christ, all the verses, I told you you could do a New Testament search yourself, through comma Jesus or through comma Christ on your search engine, through Christ, we have become, we looked at this not last week, last week was Mother's Day, but the week before, we have become the sons and daughters of Christ. We're brought into salvation. We didn't bring ourselves in. We were brought in by the Lord, by his salvation, by his work on the cross. And then we're continually sanctified and set apart for the glory of God. Not for us. Our whole life is to be for his glory. This is why people are in misery. They're trying to live for themselves. But we're brought in for the glory of God. But then we know that we get forever with his family. Isn't that great to know? Everything you're going through someday will be gone. You'll be at the table with Jesus. All will be forgotten. You won't be looking for bargains anymore. You won't be looking for sales. You won't be wondering how you're going to pay the bills. You won't be worried about chronic pain. All of that will be gone someday. 
So there is a forever where we'll someday, we saw in the same text in Hebrews chapter 2, you had to go back and read the verse prior, someday we'll sing with Jesus. Talk about a worship leader. No disrespect to Tawana and the team. But when Jesus leads worship, get out of the way. Right? That'll be amazing. It's in your text, by the way. And I will back to verse 12. For those of you that weren't here a couple weeks ago, I want you to see it in the text. But even though I didn't read it now, look at verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 2. I will declare your name to my brethren, capital my, that's Jesus, in the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. This is Jesus to the Father. If you don't sing, something's wrong, because if Jesus sings, you better sing. Isn't that true? He, Jesus said, I'm going to sing to the Father. Well, say, I'm not the singing type. You imagine telling Jesus, that you get to heaven, I'm not the singing type. Jesus says, everyone that's born of me is the singing type. I will put a song in their mouth, the scripture says. But I'd like to give an overview of uh, these five verses and then an encouragement and an exhortation that allows us to stand on these verses in spiritual triumph. That's the purpose. This is the purpose of all scripture, but it's to make us strong through the word. If you're taking notes, you um, saw the title, but I've got it here for you again. Jesus, our everything through Christ, our everything. Again, we're focusing on that word through still, through Christ. And in these closing verses of chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that through the perfection of Jesus, his humanity, his submission to death, he's won an eternal victory on our behalf. You and I win little victories sometimes here and there, right? Remember field day when you were a kid? You were so proud, you won a bronze. Or what's that, what color ribbon is that when you get the, the blue one, the red one? Is it the white one? I was really disappointed when I got the white ribbon. I wanted the blue ribbon. But, uh, but when you win a little victory, you feel pretty good. But we, that's all we ever win is little victories. And they're very short-lived. I remember uh, reading a quote not long ago. Remember Chris Everett, the tennis player in the 70s? She said winning Wimbledon satisfied her only for about a week. And then the, the euphoria was gone. But Jesus won an eternal victory for us, an eternal victory. And we have a future hope for sure, and we talked about that just a minute ago, but we also have a present promise. Isn't that great to know? We need present promises, don't we? We have a present power available. We have a peace to sustain us. Everything we need. And the bedrock truth of what Christ has done is laid out very simply and succinctly. We just read these few verses. laid out very, very clearly. Short description of what Jesus has done. First, I want to give you just a kind of a thumbnail of what he's done. First, he's once and for all destroyed Satan. I know Satan's still alive, but I mean, he, he's, he's a walking dead man. Right, right. He's destroyed the power of Satan. It says right here, uh, that uh, he has, that he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. The day of Calvary was Satan's greatest day and his worst day all at once. It was Jesus' greatest day and worst day all at once. But, but Jesus crushed the head, stepped on, you know, any of you ever killed a snake? It's a great feeling. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, when, when you know you've put one of the serpents off the face of the map. You know, I've killed a few and I don't have any sympathy for him. I'm sorry if you, you know, someone sent out that video of the dude 
feeding the cobra with water. I'm like, now when he bites you later, he will not give you a thank you or anything like that. He'll just, you know, inject you with venom. But uh, this serpent, obviously Satan's called the serpent uh, metaphorically and typology-wise in the Bible, but Jesus crushed him once and for all. It's important for us to know that, that that has been done. But not only has he destroyed Satan and Satan's nonstop work of deception, destruction, if you've come to know the Lord, Satan can't deceive you anymore. He can't blind you anymore. He can attack you, and he will. Job found that out. Moses found that out. Paul found that out. D.L. Moody found that out, right? Many people, he will still attack you, but he can't deceive you, nor can he destroy you. He's destroyed. But Jesus also defeated the power of death. Look at verse 15. And release those through the fear of death who are in their all, all their lifetime subject to bondage. So he's defeated Satan. He's defeated death and the power of death and the fear of death as well. Since the reason why he's removed the fear of death or the fact that we don't have to live in the fear of death, I talked about the fact that we can have fleeting fears of death. That's not the same as living in the fear of death. Do you see the difference? How many of you walk around nonstop in fear of a nuclear attack? No, but you might have see something that could give you an instantaneous micro-feeling of fear. That's different than living under the oppression of it. Big difference. So he's released us from the fear of death because there's no more judgment for those who've come into Christ. There's no condemnation. But for us, death is the beginning of eternity with the Father. Death is the better place to go. Paul said, I'd rather be there, but I've got to hang out with you all for a little while longer. But for now, we still live on this earth. And we're not just living on this earth in kind of some utopia until Jesus comes back. Quite the opposite. Jesus said uh, the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against you, but he didn't say they wouldn't come against you. He said they wouldn't prevail against you. He said that you will have tribulation, but fear not, I've overcome the world. So while we're still in the world, we have these aging and imperfect bodies, and we even have aging and perfect minds, and all of these things kind of break down, sometimes over time, sometimes out of nowhere. And then we have trials and temptations. The temptations are mentioned here in verse 18. And although Satan's defeated, for whatever reason, some we know, some we don't know, God's allowed him to hang out here till the end of the tribulation. And even he's going to come back and get a release point at the end of the thousand years and deceive a few more people, actually quite a few more people. So the enemy's still on the loose, and guess what? He hates the children of God. He hates your faith in Christ. He hates my faith in Christ. He would leave me alone if I'd go back to the world. You know that? I could have easy living in many ways if I would go back to the world, but, but I'm going to cling to Christ. How about you? Because why would I go to the losing side? Why would you go to the losing side? He's got a big L right on him. God can see all the time. But Jesus, although the enemy is still against us, although our flesh still fights against us, Jesus promises, and not only promises, he delights in helping us and protecting us 
and interceding for us. He says, he's, it says in verse 7, he's our high priest interceding for us. Even if other people fail to pray for you properly, Jesus had never failed to pray for you properly. Isn't that great to know? You ever told someone you pray for them and then you forgot? We've all been guilty of that. I'll be praying for you. Never happened. If Jesus said, I'll pray for you, he prays for us. Forgiving us. Elizabeth Elliot, and her husband Jim Elliot was killed there uh, as they tried to reach uh, the natives there in South America. Uh, she used to like to say, I love this phrase. I got it from my one book my wife's reading. If you and your spouse both read books, you kind of like share information a lot, right? So it's good that you both read the Word of God but also read things. But Elizabeth Elliot liked to say this a lot. Acceptance brings peace. Acceptance brings peace, which is profoundly true, but in accordance with accepting what God has allowed is, uh, enables us, if we say, Lord, we accept everything you've said in your word, we can stand on it. We accept what your word says, we know it's true, and we can stand on it. And I want to give you two exhortations this morning from verse uh, 14 through 18. The first, we're picking up from where we left off uh, the sons and daughters of of the risen son, but uh, the first one is our victory through Christ. Again, we're focusing on that word through. It has to be through Jesus. It can't be through us. It has to be through him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? It's through Christ. Our salvation is through him. Our walk is through him. Our peace is through him. Our joy is through him. Our rest is through him. But here we're talking about our victory is through him, in 1939, Eugene Bartlett penned these words that would become a renowned hymn within the worldwide body crisis, now sung all over the world in many different languages. And once I start reading the words, you'll know what it is. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning, then I repented. Boy, you see, even what we prayed earlier this morning, all of this is in the, it's so rich with doctrinal truth. I, then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me. Again, it was from the outside. We weren't seeking him. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. We were lost. We didn't have it. We didn't have the right address. And all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory and cleansed uh, beneath the cleansing flood. Those words, 1939, have now been sung all over the world. And they're so doctrinally, biblically, scripturally true. Victory is only through Jesus. He plunged us to victory. He had to dip us in the blood, if you will, to victory. He sought us. He bought us. It was all, he took care of Satan. Everything in this list we couldn't do. Can we defeat Satan? Nope. Can we, can we uh, pay for our own sins on the cross? Nope. Uh, can we give ourselves victory? Nope. Uh, on down the line, it was all him. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Victory was secured at Calvary. Everything needed for our salvation, he's already finished and completed. There's nothing else that needs to be done except for us to believe, receive, and stand on it. 
There's nothing else that needs to be done. There's not a thing you need to contribute other than saying, yes, Lord, thy will, let me stand on these truths that you have presented and you've given. If we have come to him in sincerity, if we've come to him in humility, in repentance, and seeking his grace and his salvation, he has forever saved us. Isn't that great to know? Salvation. We have eternity. He's rescued us. He's cleansed us. He's delivered us from sin and from guilt and from fear of judgment. That's what it's saying in verse 15. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. And yet, there are millions that are petrified of death and nobody's sharing with them the peace and hope of Jesus. Did you realize that? You're walking by people all the time who are scared to death of death. Now, they'll tell you they're not, but God will say, no, I've seen them, and I've seen them lay in bed at night. I've seen what they think about. You think that they're happy because they're sipping on that Starbucks or whatever. You think they're happy, so you're not going to ruffle their feathers. They're already ruffled. They may be petrified. That's why drugs, that's why alcohol, that's why relationship, that's why false religions are trapping so many people. They're looking for an escape. They're looking for a mental escape from the fear of death. Maybe yoga will do it. Maybe this will do it. Maybe that will do it. They know the end of life is coming. Sometimes I think about it, don't you? Sometimes I think, man, I turned 50 this year. Got 30 years or, or so to do something, if, if I even make it. That, there's no guarantee. I had two siblings that died way younger than me, but two of my sisters, 21 and 37. So uh, you're not guaranteed eternity. I mean, we're not guaranteed you know, X number of years, but, but I've been released and set free. How about you? And I want to bring freedom to others. Praise God, our salvation is complete because Christ's victory is complete. And we are secure because those he has redeemed by his blood, here's the thing, if, if you have come into faith, you're secure. Jesus will never discard you. He'll never reject you. He'll never abandon you like people will. He'll never say, I've had enough of this person. He will never let go those that belong to him. In John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Jesus will never cast me out. If you're saved, he's never going to cast you out. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's not going to cast his own out. Now understand that victory is through Jesus for those who have truly put their faith and trust in Jesus and have been transformed by Jesus. Again, victory is for the saints. You have to be a saint first to actually partake in this victory. The victory is ours, but we first have to come into saving faith. The release is for the redeemed. The release of the fear. And it says to release through the fear. So the release is those who have been released from chains. Have you been released from the fear of death? 
I'm not saying you don't ever have a fleeting fear. I talked about Martin Luther talked about sometimes because we know the holiness of God, we sometimes will still fear because we just understand how wretched we are, and then we run to the grace and mercy of the cross, and it calms us. And we're like, oh, yeah, there's this thing called the atoning blood, the grace of God, the salvation. I've been plunged to victory as the hymn just, I just read from. So we will have these fleeting thoughts, and Jesus wants them to be fleeting. Remember, fiery darts are to be quenched. doesn't say they don't happen. You can have them here. You can have them for you know, all different ways. You can experience fiery darts, but they're to be quenched because Jesus released the redeemed from these things. So you can just, if after a while, you can just say, the enemy's lying, God's telling me the truth. Lord, quench this. This is so important because the enemy tries to wear down and at times worry the redeemed of the Lord, and yet simultaneously, as he's trying to wear down the redeemed, he's trying to pacify and placate the unredeemed, but often church-going people. Be careful. Some of the unredeemed are church-going, and he placates them. The scriptures speak to this, and if you've been saved any length of time, you've seen it for yourself. I've seen it many times in my 25 years of being in Christ. Uh, Here's what I'm uh, getting to. From a scriptural standpoint, Jesus spoke to two churches in Asia. One was Sardis and one was Laodicea. Now, he spoke to seven, but I'm speaking of two of the seven right here. The letters were written to seven churches. He spoke to two of them in this way, that though they thought they were on victorious cruise control, they were on victorious cruise control. They were on a celebrity cruise around the world with Jesus. They were on cruise control. They were saved. They were soaking up the good life. They had great services. Not just good services. They had great services. They had the best worship teams. They had everything going on. They had it going on. They had it all. They had all these different things. They had successful ministry. Everyone was buying their books, not the other way around. They had successful ministry, and Jesus called one of them dead. He called, them, he called one of them a corpse, and they were known as the most alive church of all. And Jesus said, it's, it's not true. They're dead as a corpse. And the other one, he said he wanted to vomit out of his mouth. Isn't that amazing? These were the two fantastic-looking churches to everybody else, but they were on cruise control through the world of saying, we have victory in Jesus, we have everything we need. Um, But Jesus himself also warned that many would say, Lord, Lord, at the end of the age, and they never knew him. And through the years, I've met a fair number of claiming to be Christians tell me, well, I I see that they're, they're not serving Christ or anything, but they'll tell me they're Christian. And they have told me some of the most confident, at least the way I can see it, some of those bold, confident statements that they will tell me, I don't have a doubt in the world about my salvation. They've told me that. And yet they're lukewarm at best. Not a care for Christ. No desire for people to be saved. No desire or effort to be personally discipled. No care if anyone else is discipled. No willingness to serve. No prayer life to speak of. No time for fellowship with believers. Very little time for God but they know the Christian lingo. They know, they know how to speak Christianese. 
On the other hand, on the other hand, this is here's a, here's a strange uh, observation over the years. On the other hand, I've met believers that are really endeavoring to grow in their love for Christ. They're trying to be discipled. They are opening the Word daily. They're praying. They're serving. They're in fellowship. They're trying to help others. They're pleading with God for personal change and victory in their own life. And in the face of their trials and the oppositions they're facing and their failures, they're so personally aware of their own sin nature that still fights against the light of Christ that I've had some of them say to me, am I even saved? Something's wrong here. The person that Jesus said, dead as a corpse, lukewarm, they're saying, I'm a savior. I'm not, I'm not a doubt in the world. And then I meet people that are like on fire for God, saying, "Am I even saved?" Guess who is speaking words in both ears? Satan saying to one, "You're, you're, you're good to go. Stay on cruise control. You're the most saved person on earth. That's why God wants to make you a millionaire. He loves all the stuff He wants to do for you." Then the person who's fighting the good fight, Satan saying, "You're not even saved." You're not doing anything right. Strange, isn't it? The churchgoer on cruise control can be so confident and comfortable loving the buzzword blessed. That's their favorite word, blessed. While the genuine worshiper is worried and worn out. Strange, huh? And feeling rather defeated. And I believe this is who or why the writer of Hebrews is writing this theological reminder and encouragement to. This is to those, this is written to those of you who are fighting against the darkness. The writer of Hebrews is saying, I want you to remember the darkness has been defeated. Don't listen to his lies. Hang in there like Job, right? Hang in there. Don't listen to what the enemy is saying because a lot of times we forget that Jesus has already won. We forget he's won. That death, he's defeated death, Satan, the darkness, and the deception, and even the fear of death. Weary but faithful believers need to be reminded they're on the winning side. If you're being worn down, you need to be reminded you're on the winning side. Now, we don't look down on those that are, if, if they're not saved or carnal, lukewarm, all that stuff, we pray for them. I reach out. I, don't, I, don't, I used to kind of be a lot more in people's face. Now I kind of put an arm around and say, hey, why don't you read this passage and see what God will show you, you know? But at some level, I'm telling you, the enemy knows that if I badger you enough, you'll all of a sudden just collapse, and not walk in victory. And Jesus said, no, I've already won all that. The reminder alone that you're on the winning side can bring a calming and steady resolve. Just you knowing today you're on the winning side. The enemy sows these different things or your own flesh. My pastor in Charlotte, when I was in Charlotte, this was before I was called in the ministry, I uh, was still working for a software company at the time, but my pastor there, uh, he used to often say, that his job as a pastor, now it's become mine, shepherd and preacher, was to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> and the first time I heard, I didn't really like it, but then I was like, you know, this is probably good. I need, if I'm too comfortable in Jesus, did he not afflict the comfortable with those two statements? 
He was not condemning those two churches. He was telling them to wake up. He said, you're not all that. You're actually very lukewarm, and you're doing it with programs, and there's no power of the Holy Spirit there. By the way, if our church doesn't have the power of the Holy Spirit, there's not going to be the active work of God taking place. It'll be, it'll look, you can make it look good, right? You can have a car that looks fantastic, but if there's no gas in it, you're not getting anywhere, but the beat-up one's going to go right by you, right. right? So we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in us. And so this comfort the afflicted, the afflicted comfortable, that comes from Jesus. We're just messengers passing it along. If you're living for Christ, ignore your fears. If you're li living for Christ, ignore your fears. Even the random fears of death, just give them over, Lord. Say, Lord, this is coming from nowhere. I don't know where this is coming from. I'm just going to hand it over to you. And let him just set it on fire. You, you want to be like the burning bush. You want to be set on fire, but not consumed, but the fire of the Holy Spirit. In time, as you give these things over, Lord, in time, they'll pass from you. They'll pass from me. They'll pass from us. In time, they'll pass as we grow in the Lord, and his victory becomes more real to us. God wants to make... Did you know everything in the spiritual realm be, can become more real to you than it is today? Did you know that you can be more aware of Jesus' love than you ever have been? Who can do it? Only the Holy Spirit. You can become more in love with God than you are today. You can become more faith-filled. Do you know the disciples prayed this specific prayer that I read again this week? I was reminded. They said, Lord, increase our faith. Is that not a, just a simple, honest prayer? Lord, increase our faith? The Scriptures tell us that Satan is called the accuser of, of the brethren, right? Wearing out the saint. He has constant noise. How many of you like the sound of like, you know, you're trying to sleep and then the next door neighbor has a lawn care service start at like, you know, all that kind of, it's just, it, just the noise. You're like, this has to be from hell. There's no, there's no way that this is, God would not, heaven won't sound like an electric mower or whatever that stuff is, trimmer. But the constant noise, he's constantly accusing. He's constantly trying to rattle. Martin Luther said, you should not believe your conscience and your feelings more than the word which the Lord who receives sinners preaches to you. Before you get saved, the conscience was all you have. When you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit, which is greater than the conscience. And sometimes the conscience, which was with even unsaved people have a conscience, the conscience can actually, in the saved realm, can actually be a little bit of a wobbly thing, the word and the spirit is what you must listen to. Your feelings don't trust them. Don't trust the feeling. Trust the word that has been preached to you and I by Jesus. Let the spirit and the word divide conviction from condemnation. Did you hear that? Let the spirit divide conviction from condemnation. They're not the same and Satan knows they're not the same. Do you know they're not the same? God wants to bring me conviction, not condemnation. God wants to bring you conviction, not con if you're in Christ. And Satan knows the difference, and we need to know the difference. On the other hand, if you're not living for Christ, and you do speak that Christianese I spoke of, but you have no heart for the Lord, and you're really nice and comfy, well, you need a healthy fear of the Lord. You need a healthy fear of the Lord. We all need a healthy fear of the Lord. And sadly, for too many... They don't need 
the help or protection of Jesus, the reason why many people don't need the help and protection of Jesus, you know why? You know why many people you'll meet say, you know, I don't really, I don't really need to pray all that much. I don't need any of that stuff. I don't need to read that much. I, I got saved in 1976, and I've been good to go ever since. I don't really need, I don't need to walk with God. I mean, the, the forest or the golf course is my sanctuary and then all this other stuff, and I, I really don't need to spend that much time with God. He knows me. I know him. We're good to go. He's the man upstairs or whatever they want to use, some language like that. They don't need any help and protection of Jesus because they're not in any real warfare with the enemy. They're not in any warfare. Satan has an invisible sign on them that says, do not disturb. God can see it. The angels can see it. The demons can see it. Everyone can see it, but people, there's like an invisible sign, do not disturb. This one's good to go. This one's comfortably numb and sound asleep in their comatose position and having a blast. Yes, the Lord wants to awaken the sleeping, but he also wants to encourage and help those of us who desire to live and victory. Do you desire to live in victory? Let's close with this last, uh, our help. You might say that, well, shouldn't help come before victory? No. Jesus won the victory first. Then he sent the helper second. Do you see how that works? The cross and the resurrection, the victory was won. Then he said, wait until I send the helper. Victory is already won. God does it all backwards. We do a lot of training, then we win a victory. Jesus says, I don't do the training. I, vic- I win the victory, then I send you the help. Isn't that great to know? This one, it's already in the win column. Now you're training from victory, not for victory. The helper has been sent. We came to salvation because of Christ's victory, because of his death, because of his resurrection, because he defeated Satan and the fear of death. We're strengthened in faith continually as we remember the victory in Jesus. But we need his help in more ways that we can count every day, don't we? We need his help now. We know that heaven awaits us. We know that if we've been, maybe you came in here discouraged, but now you are reminded, hey, I'm in victory. But you still know Monday's coming. And you know you've got some issues, to th- th- you've got problems you can't solve. You've got things uh, that you need to work through. You've got a letter that came in the mail, like, what am I supposed to do with this? All of these things. You know you need God's help today. Even though you know you're standing on victory, you know you need the Lord, and you need his help. For indeed, verse 16, he does not give aid to angels. Angels don't need that. They're not in a fallen world. They live with God in heaven. Nor, uh, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he is made to be like his brethren. Jesus came down to experience our humanity so he could relate to where you're at in the everyday thick and thin of things. And he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. So in other words, Jesus says, I'm here for your time, your pilgrimage, your sojourn through the earth to be your high priest, to help you, to give you aid. You're going to need it. You can't live life on your own. You can't make sure, I, you know, that's it, Lord, I'm telling my heart to work today. I'm telling the kidneys to make sure they're doing their job. I mean, no, God's grace, but also to persevere through everything. We need his help on top of his help. We need his help on top of help. 
verse 17 there, that therefore in all things, all things, we need his mercy. We fail so often, don't we? Anyone fail this week at anything? Yeah, I failed a lot. We fail so often, if it wasn't for his mercy and his grace, we'd just give up and say, we are unusable, Lord. Well, we kind of are. Jesus said, uh, his servants should say, Lord, we're unprofitable. He said that we should say that to him. Lord, we're unprofitable. That's not good for my self-esteem. <laughs> Jesus said to tell him, I'm an unprofitable servant. And he says, but I'm going to make you profitable. Amen. In other words, he's saying, see yourself for the fact that you bring nothing to the table. Those clay jars we talked about last week that he wants to turn water into wine inside of us. Proverbs 24, 16, for a righteous man may fall seven times and yet rise again. Isn't that great? Why? Because we have a merciful and faithful and grace-filled high priest, as it says here, merciful, faithful. He is our high priest who is able to also cover us because of his sacrifice. We don't have to live in fear, nor do we have to live in condemnation, nor do we have to live in guilt. Isn't that great? We don't have to live in guilt. Praise God for that. We've all made some mistakes. You wish you could go back and change time. You can't. But you don't have to live in guilt about the past. We can daily and continually go to Jesus and get cleansed and refreshed and new strength for this day. Not just, to, Jesus said, one day at a time, like manna. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, strength for the day. A perfect example of this is from uh, Charles Spurgeon. In those times when you know you need to pray, but for any number of reasons, you don't feel like praying. You ever been there? Sometimes you even kind of not sure, well, I don't know if I'm praying. that God's not hearing me anyway. I've prayed this too many times. Or you don't feel like you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, or you're just stressed out, or whatever. You, you don't feel like praying. I love that he said, offer up this simple prayer. Lord, help me to pray. How's that for an opener? Lord, help me to pray. I promise you, you start doing that, your prayer life will open up. Every time you do not feel like praying, say, Lord, help me to pray, Jesus will answer that request. Now, if you say, Lord, make me a billionaire, he will not probably answer that request. <laughs> Lord, make my life perfect, not going to answer that request. But if you say, Lord, help me to pray, that little prayer of sincere spiritual desire, which overrides our flesh, it is an act of faith. That little prayer is an act of faith. It actually comes from the Spirit. It ignites the work of the Spirit, and then we can begin to pray. All of a sudden, he clears the deck of what? All of our turmoil, all of our inside stuff, all of the things that are rattling around in our brain. He just clears the deck. He's faithful to his own. He's faithful to his own. That little simple prayer, Lord, help me to pray. It's in quietness with God. It's in prayer, his word that calms our spirit and reminds us of victory in Jesus. Communion. We take communion. We understand what com communion is us being in union with God, walking with him. Communion with our high priest and our mediator begins at the fountain of grace, but it's maintained through prayer. But even as we pray, because it says he's our... Uh, He's the um, merciful and faithful high priest. Again, he's interceding for us. He's the mediator for us. Uh, but even as we pray and we're encouraged, 
that Jesus rules and reigns in victory, even as our faith grows, uh, we still have tangible areas we need his help. Tangible things. Don't forget that he suffered and he depended on the will of God, his Father, and his Spirit for life. Uh, we, but we pray, Lord, um, give me the right words in this specific setting. You know, tangibly, we need God's help. You ever said, I'm walking into a situation, I need the right words, Lord? That's a tangible, you need help that moment. You, heaven is still out there somewhere. You know that's coming, but you need help that moment. Say, Lord, I need the right words. This is a complex, sticky, difficult, uh, agitated, I don't know what it is. Lord, I need, I need the right words for this setting, this situation. Or how about this one? Lord, I don't know how to disciple the kids, but I want to. I need your help. What's the right manual? Who can help me? Lord, send someone to come, send a Barnabas to come alongside me. Do you know you start praying for people to disciple you? God will send someone to disciple you. But you have to have the desire. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to, here's a good one. Lord, help me to love this person that's not a real lovable person. They're all looking at you too, right? I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, um, but that's, there's some truth to that, right? We think we're so lovable and everybody else isn't. And other people are like, you're, got, you're not the easiest cat to hang around with either, you know. You know the, you're not like a cat in a bathtub kind of thing, but, you know, you're not it's easy either. You ever said this? Here's a tangible help thing. You ever, said, you ever prayed a prayer like this? Lord, please make these two hours of sleep I got feel like eight today. You ever prayed a prayer like that? Lord, please make these two hours, multiply them like fish and loaves. Because right now they're feeling like two. And I needed more than 2.5. I needed to be at least six hours feeling something. I've had God answer that prayer. How about you? If you've survived it, he did answer the prayer. Sure. He can do that. You know, that's not a hard thing for God, to make your two hours sleep feel like eight. Um, how about this one? Lord... I've lived seven years with migraines. Please sustain me or heal me. That's a tangible thing. That's tangible. That, that's something that you need God's literal help with. It's not, heaven still is out there. We have the hope, which is a joyful expectation. That's what the word hope means, joyful expectation. But we need help right now, don't we? Help. He can do that. Lord, how about this one? Lord, we need this paycheck to actually act 3x its capacity. Do you know, do you know that you ever heard of God math? He can do that. We need this paycheck to act as if it's three times larger than it actually is to do the things. We need some God math to come through. Lord, we need these tires to last eight to ten more months. They barely passed inspection. We need them to last eight to ten more months. Or maybe there's something you're still tempted by that you thought by now you would no longer be tempted by, and you still are. You need tangible help, don't you? You thought that would be long gone. Some people, because of their past, they can't get near a glass of wine, not even near it. It's like, it's like a magnetic force to them. But you can pray this prayer, Lord, keep me pure, and he will. Amen. Keep me pure. And he will. Did you know that the simple prayers God hears? Uh, he, he was not impressed with the guy sitting there praying this pompous prayer. It's 
sincere heart, childlike prayer, Lord, help me to stay pure. You, know, you think God's going to reject that one? Well, I don't really want to help you stay pure. No. Lord, help me to pray. Those, these are the things, these are the heart of God as we pray these things. He himself, verse 18, has suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those that are tempted. Maybe, again, God's allowed these things for you to get closer to your high priest, to come a little closer and say, Lord, I need your help. You've already won the victory. I need to believe in the victory and believe that you, don't you love that the Holy Spirit's name is called the helper? The helper, that's his name. That's not his only name, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. He's got other, the Spirit of God. But one of his names is the helper. Lord, help me grow. Lord, help me love. Lord, help me have more faith. These are the simple prayers we, God wants us praying. He's everything we need for everything in life. Going back to what I mentioned the outside, acceptance equals peace. When you accept that these things are true, and you start praying in accordance with them, peace will follow. Lord, I accept that you've won the victory. So I'm not going to worry about the lost column. Satan's in that column. I accept that you've won the victory. I'm going to accept that you've defeated the fear of death. So when the fleeting fears come, I'm throwing them at the foot of the cross. The more we accept the truth of God, the more we accept the peace of God. Acceptance equals peace. Accept our circumstances. Accept his victory and ask for his help, and then accept his help. Isn't that great? Ask for his help, accept his help, and Jesus will give it to us, won't it? He's, he's our everything. Everything's through him. But as we come to a close and we will wrap this up, not only is everything through him, everything's worthy. He's worthy of all of our praise. So part of, part of like accepting his victory is to worship him in victory. I, wanna, I, I asked the worship team to stand down. I had a closing song I wanted to play for you guys. But I want to have us bow our heads for just a moment. I don't want to take for granted. There might be someone in here who's still in the bondage of the fear of death and has never come to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I don't want to take for granted that every single... I know this was a message primary, primarily to believers, whether you're in a battle... You're fighting, fighting the good fight. You feel like you're getting defeated at times. You're in spiritual warfare. Um, like I said, I, I felt all morning I was in warfare. But I feel like I just won a 10-round bout. Because I know, Je yeah, yeah, Jesus. Because Satan does not like the word of God. He doesn't want you set free. He doesn't want you to have peace. He doesn't want you to have the help of God. He doesn't want you to care about people. He doesn't want you doing it. He either wants you in cruise control or in abject fear. Did you, you know, that's where he wants you. He either wants you asleep or in panic mode. Jesus wants you in spirit control mode. And that's, uh, he's our help and he's our victory and he wants to do that. But you first have to remember victory is for the saints. Help is for the saints. First is salvation. So bow your heads. I just want to ask, is there anyone here, you want to raise your hand and say, I've never... I've never experienced Jesus cleansing me and saving me from sin. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you if there's anyone in this room at all. I don't want to assume that everyone in here is saved. Even if you've been a churchgoer, that doesn't mean you're born again. Jesus told Nicodemus he was very religious that he wasn't born again. Religion will not. Anyone at all in this room say, I want to 
raise my hand and say, Lord, that's me. I have not yet come to the foot of the cross to Jesus cleanse me. Anyone at all? For the rest of us, if we're all saved, if there's something in this text for everyone, wouldn't you agree? There's something in, there's some area where we forget the victory of God. There's some area where we're not walking in victory. There's some area where we're not really asking God for his help and receiving his help because we're trying to do it ourselves, Or we've listened, listened to the lies of the enemy. Or we've listened to our own feelings and our own flesh and all these different things. And I just want to pray with all of us. But I want it to be sincere in your heart. If, if, that, if this is spoken to you, if this text is spoken to you, you say, Lord, I've not been walking in your victory. I've not even been remembering your victory. I've not been asking for your help. Then I want you to commit, Lord, this week I'm going to ask you, Lord, when I don't feel like praying, Lord, help me to pray. When I don't, my faith, Lord, increase my faith. Lord, help me love that person. You start praying for that person, and your whole world will change towards that person. It really will. This is the spiritual realm. Jesus said to love even your enemies. And there's you know, the things you're battling, trials you're in, things you're having faith. Lord, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. Lord, we need your help. God is so good, isn't he, as we pray? Let's pray. Lord, Father, we just come before you. Forgive us of our lack of faith, but thank you for victory in Jesus. That you plunged us to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Lord, in this room, I pray, Lord, that you would wash us and forgive us of those areas that maybe our flesh has been ruling the day. But, Lord, we remember your victory. We rejoice in your victory. We accept your victory. And, Lord, we humbly ask for the help of the helper. Help us, Lord, to grow in your grace and to rejoice. And, Lord, when the enemy comes, we just come to you and say, Jesus, we're on the winning side. I want to grow in you. And, I, Lord, help us to, you are the one that can help us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to love the unlovable, to grow beyond our fears and our temptations and all these things. And we humbly ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.